0: Tonight, I have a word for you—an interesting word about grace. Grace being spiritual oxygen. Now, it's a very unusual concept, and we're going to unpack a lot. But do run with me, and um, we're going to land, and we're going to land in a very good place. Okay. Before we go into spirituality and all that stuff, right? Let's talk about the natural. It's, you know, what's really interesting is sometimes people ask me. Like, Pastor A, why do you use stuff? Why do you use kind of like things to show people? Because sometimes it's very hard to explain spiritual realities. Jesus said to, um, to, I believe, the disciples and those who were listening to him, to what can I compare the kingdom of God as? And when I read that in scripture, I'm very confident it was like he was looking around for something. And then he picked up something, and he used that illustration, he used the natural to explain something that they had never really understood before. So that's what we're going to do today. Let's talk about oxygen. Let's talk about food, let's talk about water. Do you know, I need your participation for this, do you know how long you can last for, on average, without training, without food? Anyone know? 40 days. 40 days. Oh, you went Bible on me. Excellent. Right? Well, actually, it says here that you can actually last two to three months without food. Average. You can actually last two to three months without food. Interesting. Keep this tallied in your mind. Second one. Water. How long, generally, can you live without water? Someone said three weeks. Yay. 27 days. No. According to this, these just, just are general um, facts that they, they put on uh, NHS. They say, without grace, you're ahead. <laughs> without grace, three to six days you can survive without water. Three to six days. Don't try it, though. <laughs> After three days, they say you can cause irrevocable damage. So hold on, so let's put this together. Without food, you can last two to three months. Without water, you can last three to six days. How long do you think you can, you can last without oxygen? Excellent. He got it at the back. It's three to six minutes. Three to six minutes. Now, this is without training. The world record of holding your breath is 24 minutes. So let's put training aside. Let's put you know, God's ability aside. And just general, three to, six, um, three to six minutes without oxygen is a problem for a human life. Now, what's really interesting is this. The Bible talks about many fasts. It talks about a food fast. It talks about a meat and dairy fast, Daniel fast. It talks about a water fast, but it doesn't talk about an oxygen fast. I thought that was quite amusing, to be honest with you. You can't, God has never called us to be without oxygen. He's called us for times to be without food, he's called us sometimes to be without liquid. But there's something specific about oxygen that he wants you to consistently engage in. Why? This is why. A human needs oxygen to live. Very simple. A human needs oxygen to live. Your organs, your bones, your muscles, your blood, everything in your body, everything of your body, is made of cells, and all cells need oxygen. There's other stuff as well, but oxygen is the main thing. Without oxygen, there will be problems in the following areas. Your neurological system your respiratory system, your circulatory system, your skeletal system, your muscular system, you name the system, there will be a problem if there is no oxygen. Your brain, your lungs, your heart, your stomach will function in in a bad way without oxygen for a certain amount of time. Even your basic ability to walk, remember, work, eat, draw, design, calculate, requires oxygen. But here's my thought. If your body needs oxygen to do all of these things, and it will be negatively affected when oxygen is no longer there, I then realized, with oxygen, we can do all of these things. We can walk, we can talk, we can run. We can do all these things. And as I contemplated With oxygen, I can do all these things that my body has the ability to do. There was a verse that came to mind, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I began this journey of what this means. How can I connect oxygen and grace? 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. So we're talking about oxygen and oxygen affecting the physical body. But what I'm trying to say to you is, is this. If oxygen is required for the physical body, and 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says that there are three parts of us in a way, there's a spirit, there's a soul, and a body. If oxygen is needed for the body, what is needed for the soul? What is needed for the spirit? Before we even go down that road, a couple of years ago I'd done first aid training. In fact, I need first aid training again. And we realized, I realized upon the teaching that there's different types of situations that can happen when you come into a room and you see someone lying on the ground. There's usually three options. There's conscious and breathing. Now, if you see someone in a room lying down, conscious and breathing, you can tell them, get up. Because they're conscious, they're aware of their surrounding, they're breathing. Unless there's no, any broken bones, apart from that, they can get up. The next stage underneath conscious and breathing is not conscious and breathing. Okay, I'm going to ask everyone, let's see who's really thinking. What state do pe- are people in sometimes which is not conscious and breathing? Sleeping. Excellent, sleeping. You good. Right, sleeping. Now, outside of someone sleeping on the ground, someone who's not conscious and breathing, something's happened. I have a, 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 a heart attack, someone something's hit their head, whatever. There's a reason why they're not conscious but still breathing. But usually, most of us, when we're not conscious and breathing, it's usually because we're sleeping. I want you to remember that. The last one is this, and this is the worst one: not conscious, not breathing. Uh-huh, good. Now, not automatically. When you're not conscious, not breathing for a long time, then you will be dead. But not conscious, not breathing is a state that you don't want to be in. Now, if you understand those three things in the natural, let's go into the spiritual a little bit. How true is it that God wants each and every one of us to be alive to his reality? He wants to empower us to do great and marvellous things in his name. 100% true. If that was connected to one of these states, that would be conscious and breathing. Let's change it. A Christian can be one of two. Conscious and breathing or unconscious and breathing. Here's a question for you. Are you... Do you know someone who's spiritually asleep? What's really interesting about sleeping and being unconscious but breathing is in your sleep, you still move. You don't move in the ways that you would usually move if you were awake, but in unconscious but breathing, you are moving, but the movements you have no control of. What happened if I told you this? On a spiritual level, a Christian who is unconscious to the goodness and power of God, but still alive, is in sin. Now, there's one below, like we were saying, this is for unbelievers. Not conscious, not breathing. This is why... The message of the gospel is so important to those because this is what um, gives them a life that makes them alive to the things of God. But if we focus on the Christians for now, we have to ask ourselves what am I right now? Am I conscious to the things of God? Am I seeing things through God's eyes? Or am I unconscious? Am I still living life for me? Am I behaving in ways that in God's eyes the movements make no sense, but they make sense to me? It's a question I want you to hold in your heads for a second. So as we look at all of this stuff, conscious, breathing, conscious not breathe, uh, unconscious, um, 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 breathing, um, not conscious, not breathing. As I looked at all of this, I realized to myself, what is so interesting is the concept of breathing. Usually, when you're breathing, it tends to be a good thing. What does it mean to breathe spiritually? What does it mean for there to be spiritual oxygen? Now, if oxygen gives me the ability for my body to do the things that it, is, that it is designed to do, then that means if I breathe in the spiritual equivalent of oxygen, it would mean that my spirit man would have the ability to do things that it has been designed to do. Whatever the, the spiritual equivalent to oxygen is, the spirit man needs. I just want us to watch a quick video. Video. From the team, and um, I just want us to have a basic understanding on on breathing on a biological level. I've kind of put them on the spot. Let's see if they have it ready. There you go.
1: This exchange refers to the process of oxygen and carbon dioxide moving between the lungs and blood. Air passes into the lungs via bronchi, bronchioles, and then into alveoli. This is where gaseous exchange takes place. Alveoli are individual hollow cavities contained within alveolar sacs, or ducts. There are approximately 3 million alveoli within an average adult lung. They have very thin walls, which permit the exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide gases. A network of small blood vessels called capillaries, into which the inspired gases pass, surrounds alveoli. Diffusion occurs when molecules move from an area of high concentration to an area of low concentration. This occurs during gaseous exchange because the blood in the capillaries surrounding the alveoli has a lower concentration of oxygen than the air in the alveoli which has just been inhaled. Because both alveoli and capillaries have walls which are only one cell thick, this allows gases to easily diffuse from one to the other. The same happens in reverse with carbon dioxide, CO2. The blood in the surrounding capillaries has a higher concentration of CO2 than the inspired air. Therefore, CO2 diffuses the other way, from the capillaries into the alveoli, where it can then be exhaled or breathed out.
0: Now, the good thing is, I'm not going to ask anyone to do an exam, right? But what I did want you to understand is the basic process of breathing. When we inhale air from the outside, it comes into our lungs. And in our lungs, there's capillaries around this air sac bag of sorts. And from there, it allows the oxygen that we've breathed in to come into the bloodstream. And from the, blood, from the bloodstream, it goes into the heart and to the places in the body where it needs to go. As a result, My mind, my lungs, my organs continue to function in the way they were called to function because I have received the oxygen that allows my body to continue doing what it's designed to do. On a spiritual level, we as believers have been given a new life. A spirit man, spirit woman for the ladies... Now, what's really interesting about this spirit man is that it has the ability to do everything perfect in the eyes of God. The only issue is the spirit man needs to be empowered. The power that it needs to be empowered with is what the Bible calls grace. So what does it mean to... Breathe in this grace so that my spirit man can walk and, 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 and talk and lay hands on the sick and prophesy and bear fruit. This is it. I want everyone just to make notes on 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. Listen to this. May God give you more and more grace... God's power and ability and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. That is so loaded. So this automatically connects what you know about God and Jesus will affect the power, the grace at work in you. Verse three, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a life, for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Verse four, and because of this glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. um, These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. This is beautiful. Here, let me unpack it very quickly. He's saying this. Listen, because you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have been given access to the divine nature. You have God's life in you. What you need to empower God's life in you is grace. You can get that grace if you put your mind on the promises of God for your life. Now, it goes more than a promise. Okay, let's let's go deeper here. Everything you're going through right now, one of God's promises are connected to. But upon connecting one of the promises to your life, which is needed for you right now, upon connecting a promise, there's a name of God. So there's a name of God that God wants you to trust in right now. And there's a promise for you right now that he also wants you to trust in. And then this is what combines the two. He wants you to remember what Jesus has done for you. He wants you to remember that because He died, you died. Because He raised from the dead, you raised from the dead. All of these promises are actually for Jesus. But because of your faith in Christ, you are in Christ. So the promises for Him are your promises. Would everyone, hands up, would everyone agree that the Father loves Jesus? Yep, everyone would agree that. Okay, here's a here's a tough one. Does does the father love you? At your worst? Aha. Uh-huh, some people are like mmm. Right? The reality is this. This is where sin becomes an issue. Sin becomes an issue because we lose track of the reality that me and Christ are one. God's not upset with your sin per se. He's dealt with it through Jesus Christ. His biggest issue, it's not even his issue, our biggest issue is what sin does to us. It makes us lose the reality of our oneness and union with Christ. And when you realize, wait, hold on, in the face of everything I'm going through, I am still one with God. I am still united with the Spirit of God. And as a result everything that the Father has said to the Son is mine you have access to it Grace is a beautiful thing but I want to teach you a new word before we get into grace It's found in Acts 10:34 it says this Then Peter opened his mouth and said of truth I perceive That God is no respecter of persons. In context, this is at the moment when Peter is ministering to Gentiles, and Gentiles have just been, they've been saved and filled with the Spirit. The word I want you to focus on is the word perceive. The Greek word to that word perceive is one of my favorite words in the Bible. Katalambano. You may think to yourself, Katalambano, this is a new word. What does this mean, sir? Katalambano. Listen to this. To eagerly take seize of, to possess, to attain, to, to comprehend, to, to obtain, to perceive, to, to take. Any time, you see, you have to understand, the word of God is truth. It's truth. But the problem with the word of God, if there is a problem is that me just reading it isn't enough. I need to catalambano it. I need to read it and take it. You won't know that you have catalambanoed it until you say in your heart, I believe that truth, it's mine. In simple, it's called faith. You have to faith it if you want to say it like that. You can't just read it. You can't just just look at it. You see, our biggest problem, guys, is this. Please forgive me for this illustration, but it's my sense of humor. We as Christians sometimes, we've become really good at I go into a wine cellar. In a wine cellar, there's many wines. And we'll look at the wine and we're like, wow, this is amazing. Look at this wine made in 1663. Mm, I smell the lid. The lid's wonderful. I love the glass. And we look at the exterior of it, but we never taste. When you read and read and read and read and it just stays here, it can't stay here. It must go here. Until it's here, you haven't believed it. If it's not here, it's not real to you. And if it's not real to you, faith hasn't taken its effect. Now let's connect this to grace. Let's connect this to grace. So now we've understood the the importance and significance of faith. Believing from and, and receiving. Let's say it like this. Faith is you breathing in. Grace is the oxygen you are breathing in. Take some good notes here. Grace isn't defined in one way, there's many layers to the word grace. One grace is unmerited favor. What does that mean? It is the way in which God gives grace, it's not to do with anything that you can do, it's unmerited. Your behavior has nothing to do with, what, with the grace God wants to give you. Two, grace is a free gift. It's completely free. You can't pay for it. You can't work for it. If you worked for it, it would be payment. A free gift is a free gift. So check this out. So far, you can't do anything for it, but God wants to give it to you. Three, grace is power and ability to do God's stuff whatever God wants you to do in life he's not asking you to do it for him by yourself he wants to give you the ability the grace to do it grace is whatever God gives anything God gives is grace it's what God gives and finally and this is very important grace comes from God's love He gives you all of this. He wants to give you so many things because he loves you. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's outside of time. He sees your needs. And he's provided grace for your needs. He doesn't want you to do it alone. How interesting. The Bible says it's only faith that pleases him. Why? Now I want you to start thinking. It's only faith that pleases him because if you engage with him by faith, you make use of the grace. Grace has got a bad word, a bad name in church. They say that, you know, grace will produce sin. Why? And this is the classic thing you hear. Why will grace um, um, uh, produce sin? Because people's mentality is because it's unearned. You know, God loves me anyway. I get that. That's grace. He loves me irrespective of what I do. So let me do what I want to do. And grace gets a bad name for that. You can't do anything to earn God's grace, but it's not God's desire for you to be a slave to sin. I hope you catch that. You see... God loves you irrespective and has so much riches and grace for your life. There's power to do great things. The plan and purpose he has for you is even your prophetic destiny is part of his grace. There's so much he wants to give. On the flip side, you may say, well, you know what? Let me continue to do what I want to do because that grace. He loves me anyway, right? What I'm trying to say to you is this. Even though he loves you anyway, and you can still do what you want, you won't make use of the grace. It is worth a clap, to be fair. Now, the reality is this. Grace is supposed to work with faith. If you have grace alone with no faith, there is no connection to that grace. So it's simply a principle. God loves you anyway, do what you want. It's not enough. But when you engage with, I trust who he is, what he's done, what Jesus has done for my life, every promise that he's speaking to me, I receive it because I no longer see myself outside of Christ. I fully see myself in the son that he loves. You can even say that grace is Jesus himself. Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Who brought salvation to all people? Yeshua. Jesus did. Grace has come. And the great thing about grace coming, Jesus coming, is that Jesus himself is a doorway. What's so interesting is this. Everyone knows that we've been saved by grace through faith. Right? By God's unmerited favor, he has saved us. Hallelujah. But now that we have been saved, the Bible says this, so beautiful. In Romans 6.16, do the research yourself. In Romans 6.16, it says, you are now under the law of grace. I sat at my house and my mind boggled at this. And I came to this conclusion. If you are now under the law of grace, you basically, it's saying you must now live by grace. You must now live empowered by God to do what God wants you to do. And in the moments when you get it all wrong, don't worry, there's mercy. The mercy's there. Let's go back into, into this illustration of oxygen. When you do something wrong, do any of you struggle to breathe? Anyone? No one? We still breathe easily? (sighs) We still breathe easily, right? This will make your brain fry. Even when we do wrong, we can still inhale oxygen. If grace is oxygen, and you don't struggle to breathe after you've done wrong, why do you struggle to receive grace still? If grace is freely accessible for all believers, if you're under grace, if grace may as well be the air that you breathe, why do we struggle? Why do we beat ourselves up? Do you know what Christians do a lot? This is what we do. We we do something wrong. We beat ourselves up because we we feel like we don't deserve the grace. So we go around walking, holding our breaths and we'll be religious, and we'll be at church, we'll do all of those things that look right, but we're not walking in his grace. We're not walking empowered by the God who wants to empower us, empower us to do amazing things. We're still trying to serve and attain that grace. But the reality is, there's nothing you can do to deserve it. Amen. Nothing. And the be- it gets even more fantastic. Not only is there nothing you can do to deserve it, The Bible says that there's three gifts. There's three gifts that you're given as a believer. One, the gift of eternal life. Two, the gift of righteousness. Three, the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're given three gifts. And if you understood how those three gifts work, I'll tell you right now, let's just give you the understanding. You've been given the Holy Spirit at all times. The Holy Spirit never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He's always there. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God. Now, the reality is you're always in the presence of God. Your biggest problem is you're not aware that you're in the presence of God at times. Think about this. Our guilt, our shame, our condemnation, our other pursuits, our our idols, all of those things stop us from engaging with the realm of the spirit that he's given us access to. We're in it already. So many books I read about how to enter the presence. You're in the presence already. You don't need to be in KT to engage the presence. You don't need to go to an encounter on a weekend to encounter God. The reality is he's right there. And guess what? I hate to say this to religious people, he's not angry with you. He saw the sins from the beginning. You don't even know the sins tomorrow, you're going to commit that he's already forgiven. Now this isn't to say sin, no. (laughs) When you catch this grace, you'll realize that when you're obedient, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. When you're obedient to the Word of God, when you take your faith from just having faith in Christ to being a follower of Christ, then you won't sin. Why? Because you're walking by grace. Why? Because you're engaged with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you've realized, you've come to the understanding, He was always there all the time. And the blood gave me permission to access Him whenever I want. So then Paul says this, I mean this is crazy, Paul says this, he he understands this idea and he says, who can separate you from the love of God? Remember remember what I said, grace comes from God's love. Who can separate you from accessing grace? No one. It's there. Oh my goodness, it's there. I want everyone to stand up, I want everyone to stand up, stand up. I want you to hug the air, (laughs) hug the air, it's there. It's there. I I kid you not. This is a prophetic act. I want you to understand that it's there. He's there. He's with you. He's for you. And if you don't want to hug the air, just put your hand out like that. Imagine that you're holding His hand. He's for you. He's there. You don't need to strive for this. You just need to relax into this reality. You have to trust the Word of God. You have to trust the Word of God. And if you don't trust the Word of God, you're going to trust the Word of man. And you don't want to do that because man will never speak God's word unless that man is being led by the Spirit Himself, anyway. Take a seat, brothers and sisters. Hmm. You are under the law of grace. That means he wants you to function consistently by faith, so you're empowered to do good things. Ephesians 2:10 says that you have been created in Christ for good works. Those good works are God works. Yes. So let's put this together. If I'm constantly being empowered by God to do God works, good works, then when you get, get to heaven, the Bible, the Bible talks about there's um, a judgment called the beamer seat judgment. And it's the judgment of believers. And essentially, the judgment of believers is about what you've done on earth. The question is, so let me help everyone out, because I don't want no awkward moments in hem- heaven from none of you guys. Because I don't want to, because listen, if he says, why didn't you do this? I'll be saying, listen, I told, him, I told him on the 6th of Sunday, Sunday the 6th of, um, of November, you know. The reality is, right, <laughs> you have to get to this place when you understand, wait, hold on, so grace is available, I need to open my heart, engage with this truth so that I can, so that this truth can release the grace in my life to do these great things. I would much rather each and every one of us, I want to see you in heaven, I want to sit Hold on, bro. You made it. You got that crown. Amazing. Why? Because you realize that you were given access to a power that is freely accessible for you every day. You can access it in the bus right now. You can access it in the toilet. You can access it in Gregg's. You can access it in Halfords. You can access it in your car. All you need to do is know what he's done and who has done it for you. I want to end it in a how. One thing I've learned about teachers is many people can tell you what to do, but they never tell you how to do it. And often those who can't tell you how is because they don't know how themselves. So, let's engage. How can I tap into this grace to empower me? This is how. Principles here. Romans 13, 14 says this. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. Make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. The word here I want to focus on is put on the Lord. That word put on the Lord is enduo. What it means is sink into. Imagine, right, there's someone behind me and I just sink into their arms. What God is saying here is in order to put on Christ, it's not about striving to do, it's rest and relax in what he said he's done. And as you sink into that reality, all of a sudden, you, you take your first spiritual breath. And in, those, and in that moment, your spiritual eyes are open. You're no longer seeing things in your own way, in your own understanding. You're now seeing it in His understanding. And as a result of seeing it in His understanding, you end up doing the things He's calling you to do. Oh, hallelujah. Isaiah 40, 31 talks about um, uh, uh, wait on the Lord. That word, wait. Is, is, like, is like plait. It's like platting something around. God wants you to spend enough time in his word so that you engage his word and just, it's really meditation. It's engage your mind with who God is. Engage your mind in his promises. Engage your mind in what he's done. Engage your mind. See yourself. Meditation gets a bad word, gets a bad name as well. Meditate on the cross. Yes. Meditate on it. See yourself on the cross. Let me tell you this. If you don't see yourself dead, you'll never see yourself alive. See yourself dead to Christ. Dead to sin and alive to Christ. See yourself. I went to Jerusalem last week and um, I went to the, the Garden of Gethsemane and I walked out of the tomb. I will never forget that. You don't have to go to Jerusalem to meditate that. Imagine yourself in a room, there's a door open, walk out. Right? You're free. He's made you free. And until you start wi- waiting on the Lord, connecting your, who you are, what he's done, uh, until you start engaging this reality, it will just be an idea. Amen. Finally. Simple ones. Praise and thanksgiving. Praise God, guys. Don't wait for the reason why you're praising him. It's a hard one. It's a hard one. Praise him at least for what Jesus has done. Give thanks. Don't wait for the manifestation of why you're giving thanks. Thank him for who, thank him for what he's done and, and praise him for who he is. I tell you this, brothers and sisters. We can access this grace through the Holy Spirit at any time. When you read your Bible, I want you to understand it's not a normal book. You see, this Bible, this word... Is oxygen when you read that Philemon's one nine, be happy when you're worshipping that song that you can't sing too well rejoice when you do this my brothers and sisters I tell you this All of those promises that you read about, you'll be able to say, yeah, amen. It's a testimony. I saw it for myself. Finally, brothers and sisters, understand this one thing. His grace is sufficient.